having their say on the air. We're very happy to join you one more time as part of the Latino literary renaissance that is the soundtrack to a revolution. And, of course, we want to thank our friends at Sound Awake for keeping it down. Great lead-in to us because they keep people energized with some great music. And what we do is we bring in the intellectual side of what is going on in not just our neck of the woods, but across the country. Today's special guest will be Jessica Alvarenga. She is Witness the Itmus, Central Americans in Houston, June 8th at the Match Midtown Theater. Of course, that can't be June 8th because that passed. So are we talking about it in the past? Well, we'll find out. And then also we'll be calling in to Raquel Salas, Lo Tercario, the Tertiary, and, of course, Raquel is Poet Laureate of Philadelphia. We've had a bunch of Poet Laureates on the show. 
everyone ranging from the United States Poet Laureate Juan Felipe Herrera, a good friend of the radio show Nuestra Palabra and the Libre Traficante, as well as, of course, the first Houston Poet Laureate, Gwendolyn Zapeda, good friend of the show. We need to get deep on the show. So she's the current Poet Laureate of Houston. We need to get her here. We've also had the Poet Laureate of McAllen, the current one, who is uh, Mr. Viduro, the poet of the barrio, the barrio poet. And, of course, we had Rosemary uh, Catalacos, who was the former Poet Laureate of Texas and the current Poet Laureate, I'm sorry, and the most recent Poet Laureate of Texas and also San Antonio was our dear friend Carmen Tafoya, formerly banned in Arizona. So I bring that all because we are in a Latinx renaissance where different cities have recognized the role of not just poesia, but our writers in that. So we're happy to bring you that. And, of course, you can hear some people whispering in the background. That is the rest of the crew who will introduce in a little bit. And we've got our guests settling in for a great program. But I like to bring up the guest on the show because we have decided to stick to our formats to come up with our agenda because there's a lot of distracting news going on. But we made a commitment to Latino art and culture, and we're going to stick to it. And really... Our main point has been to get the voice of our community together. On that note, we have a big initiative coming up. We want to put Houston Latino art on the map. I'm happy to be the co-founder and co-chair for the Mayor's Hispanic Advisory Board Arts Committee. If you are an artist or run an arts organization or care about Latino art or artists, we need you to show up. It's going to be Wednesday, August 29th, 6 p.m. to 7.30 p.m. at City Hall in the Legacy Room. We'll be teaming up with Councilman Gallegos. But this is the beginning of a huge initiative that will be taking Latino art to the next level. And we want to put it on the map. You can find out more by attending. And we'll keep telling you about it as we proceed further. But there are, of course, other issues that we cannot ignore. I'm going to try and take them on one at a time because there's about 200 fires burning. And perhaps you are listening old school style, which means live at 100,000 watts on 90.1 FM KPFT, emitting from the fourth largest city in America. But perhaps a few decades from now when Houston is at least the third largest city in America. You're looking back to what things were like at this time because we are at a turning point. Perhaps you are reading the transcripts as submitted to the Houston Public Library Hispanic Collection. Or maybe you're listening to it. The University of Houston Digital Archives is preserving what we say. But Either of those versions of what we do, be they the tweet or Facebook post that follows once we upload it, you can either experience it now or study it later, but we are making history with your help. Of course, you can tune into other podcasts right away by going to kpft.org. Maybe you're listening to us on live stream in another city. You can do that by accessing the website kpft.org backslash listen. Or perhaps you're listening to us by clicking on to nuestapalabra.org, where we have some of our selected podcasts. Or maybe you're on our email blast. You can go to our Facebook to get on our email blast as well to stay tuned. But we are in the middle of not just the Renaissance, but a test of democracy. So we're going to try and address just a few issues. First, more good news. San Francisco State has additional data that proves ethnic studies works. If you go to texasequityblog.com, which is the blog put together by Dr. Angela Valenzuela, a really down, brilliant Chicana, she has the post that talks about the study indicating that ethnic studies majors graduated at 20% higher rate than non-ethnic studies majors at San Francisco State. That's huge. And, of course, now that we've implemented Mexican American Studies statewide here in Texas, we have to start tapping into those benefits. But I love it that we have one more piece of evidence proving that this stuff works like we knew it worked. Additionally, at the Texas Summit 
last week, feels like it was longer than that, we came up with the initiative to start quantifying work that we have now. So there's a lot of teachers that have been using mixed market studies in classrooms. We're now going to start sharing their findings to make it part of this bigger argument just to make sure that people understand how powerful this is and really to accelerate those findings. Additional good news. Really had a wonderful interview last week with the director of Gemini Inc. They've got their conference coming up on the 20th. I know some folks from Houston have already won passes to go. We are now one of the sponsors of the Gemini Inc. conference. I'm excited about that. You know, we've been helping get the word out. They've been posting the show that they were on. If you want to listen to it, you can go to the blog post for Nuestra Palabra. But also, they've given us two more day passes. So if you're from Houston and you want to go to that awesome conference, let me drop a few names. Martin Espada, who is a libertarficante, who is an amazing Boricua poet. That's worth the price of admission right there. On top of it, Anel Flores, another friend of Nuestra Palabra. You can take workshops with them or just hear them. That's worth it right there. If you're down with poetry and literature, those names either mean something to you or Google them, let your jaw drop, and get yourself to San Antonio. So throughout the show, I will mention again, we've got two more day passes for you to get into Gemini Inc.'s conference. If you call us, 713-526-5738, we will tweet it, post it. We may mention it again, but if you call in, doesn't matter what number call you are. It's the first two folks that call in. We'll give you those day passes. So that's the good news. Let's get on to some of the bad news. Of course, today we are coming upon the deadline that the courts have imposed on the Trump administration to return... 100, I'm embarrassed we have to say this in English or utter this phrase at all in America, 100 misplaced immigrant children. That means there's actually more. These happen to be what they call tender age. These are all metaphors that boggle the imagination. In other words, there are a lot of kids that have been detained by Border Patrol and ICE and separated from their families. This particular ruling had to do with the kids that were under the the age where they can defend themselves the age where they can go down the block by themselves and if i understand correctly the trump administration was bragging about having 40 of them back with their parents there's still 60 lost that really is appalling and of course this is a country where if if americans travel and their baggage is misplaced, they will go off the rails. And in fact, airlines do a better job of tracking tu maleta. Talking about baggage, we've got some serious baggage in this country where we're misplacing 60 kids and cannot find who they belong to. Also, we got to debunk some of this BS being floated by far-right agents. They say a couple things including that a lot of the parents are not actually the parents of the kids. Let let courts figure that out. You've not been deputized, and you're not the uh, a judge dealing with family issues. So that's one, a lie. That may be the case in some some particular instances, but that's not the case across the board. A few other myths that are being propagated, you're going to hear people say things like, well, those parents put their kids in trouble by breaking the law. Let's get a few things straight. They, A lot of these parents were looking for asylum by the methods described by the nation. So they were following the country's rules. If these far-right people say, well, they should do it the right way, they were following the rules as outlined by the United States government. So you're wrong there. Secondly, it's a misdemeanor to cross the border. Most importantly, when these folks talk about well, those parents should not have put their kids in harm's way. They should stay in their country. The United States has had a huge role in destabilizing many of these countries. Now, let's be, let's be straight up about this. They're not the only influence that has destabilized these nations, right? There's politicians on both sides of the border that are terrible. However, we should not uh, ignore history. Here's one quick book, Juan Gonzalez, Harvest of Empire, also a film. He documents each wave of American intervention in the United States that has led to people leaving their country and coming to the U.S. 
And of course, we we don't have time to get into all these issues. Again, I apologize because each of these issues could be two weeks worth of programming. We can't delve into it. We are going to get to our guest as we decided and dictated because we we impose our will on the universe and we are going to be true to our artists and our writers. So let's get that straight. We will not be distracted by 45. Having said that, we do have to address this myth and debunk it. And one quick way to tell your neighbors, your vecinos, your tias how to get this straight because they'll keep repeating this. Just remind them, the first 9-11 was in Chile. In 1973, when the United States destabilized, had a role in bringing General Pinochet, a terrible dictator, into power, and his coup overthrew the democratically elected Salvador Allende. The irony of it is we suffered our own 9-11, but the first 9-11 was as a result of U.S. intervention in Chile. You can go country to country and track that influence. Again, I'm not going to say that that was the only factor, but it's a huge factor. And perhaps if we had not played a role in destabilizing those nations, they would not be fleeing. And of course, if we had other folks on, they could talk about going even further back to the colonization of these countries. If we're going to stay on Chile, you can read poems by Paulo Nenuda, where he talks about the United Grape Companies. These are huge corporations that went in and started playing with governments. You, um, you know, Liana Lopez, uh, she, her and Brian will be on the air next week, I believe. They did some great pictures in Panama where they talk about other American corporations that went in and played with the fates of these countries. The chickens have come home to roost. Let's get that straight. We are going to give one shout-out to one of our guests who could not make it. Lisa Cruces could not make it today, but she is gathering books for kids in detention centers. Marlene, do you happen to have that link that you can mention or the Facebook post? Yes, actually, I have it right here in front of me. It's a book drive for Houston area unaccompanied minors. It runs through, well, actually, ran through Monday, but um, they are trying to get um, books for these people or these kids, rather, so they can find, um, have something to, I guess, Read. Read, entertain themselves, and not think about what's going on them. And they're also trying to um, get some type of uh, funding to uh, do their legal, towards their legal efforts so that they can get reunited with their family. So, it, unfortunately, it already ended, but um, I'm sure we can try to get it back up or talk to Lisa and see if there's going to be a future one to try to get more. Well, she could be on the air today, but we'll repost that as well. So you can get in touch. I'm sure they, they still take, they'll still take I'm funding sure and help. But also if you are part of our email list or if you want go to uh, Tony net and click on the cultural accelerator, there's actually four cases of people fearing books. This is a great case where people need to get books for these young kids. But there's also another case where in Philadelphia, the um, immigration officials said that they would take books, but then said, psych, no, we won't. So they're scared of young kids edifying their mind, but they don't mind separating from their parents. And then, of course, other other examples as well. So I'll let you go to the website to check that out. Okay. Um, I did find something else on here on the actual event. Books will be collected uh, through July 31st, so you can still donate them. And they can be dropped off at the University of Houston MD Anderson Library, or they can be purchased online through um, or donated via PayPal. So you can still donate them through July 31st. So I'm going to go ahead and post this to our Twitter and Facebook page so they can go in there and actually read the whole description, what they need, what they're doing it for, and when the deadline is. And originally we did have Lisa planned uh, as as one of the guests, but she could not make it today. She had some family issues come up, so we wish her the best of luck. So we were hoping to talk to her at length about it, but we did want to give some attention to that cause. And, of course, everything is about the book. So please do get involved with that or some other way. So that's those are all the issues that we can touch on for now. Uh, next week we have Devon Peña, who will be talking about his book, talking about foodways great quote from that book saying that don't call these folks immigrants they are displaced farmers or they are running from violence of cartels and also again displaced because of corporate interests and other interests too that 
that at the end of the day, the country has a role in as well. So you could tune into that next week. So right now we take a musical break. Of course, this is Tony Diaz, Libertad Ficante. Let's go around and have the crew say hi. Hello, this is Letty. Hello, this is uh, Joe Anthony. And this is Marlin. So we'll be right back shortly after this musical break. You're experiencing Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say on the air. Don't forget to visit our website, nuestrapalabra.org.
Thank you for tuning in to Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say, broadcasting at 100,000 watts at the fourth largest city in America. This is Tony Azalibutaficante, joined by the MP crew. That was Chicano Batman, cool tunes. That is the Taker story, the soundtrack to a revolution, which is what we bring you every week. And right now we have live in the studio, Jessica Alveranga. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, hey, thank you for having me. And she is a visual geographer and storyteller based out of Houston, Texas. Coupled with her background in journalism and social justice organizing, she uses photography as a way to document and reimagine immigrant narratives, particularly that of the Central American diaspora. Her interests include urban political economies, religion and sexuality, diasporic identities, and volcanoes. She's the co-founder of Mujeres en Medio, an online media collective for women of color. In spring 2017, she was awarded an individual artist grant from the Houston Arts Alliance and City of Houston. Good. They should give you money, and more often, too. Jessica holds a bachelor's degree in geography from the University of Texas, Austin. And it's really great to have her in the studio. Now, your show already went up, so we get a chance to talk about it afterwards. Uh, first, tell us, how did it go? It went really well. Um, I was really happy to see how much community came out um, and the importance of community being represented in art. And I think that's why so many people like it moved me so much that a lot of my Instagram followers, they brought their parents with them. Um, and it's like, which is beautiful because yeah. they might not, that might be their first exhibit to go yeah, to. Yeah, I agree. Like that was, I know that was my, my parents first time ever being in a gallery um, and for like their daughter's work to be in a gallery. Oh, that's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. So I think that's why so many people showed up mm. was because it was the first time that um, it was that type of res- representation. And tell us what it looked like. So you 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 walk in, and you're Salvadoran, of yes. background. So you walk in and give folks an idea of what it looked like. Yeah. So what I did with this project is I wanted to show the diversity of the Central American experience, and not only the Central American experience, like the Latinx experience. Mm-hmm. So I really wanted to highlight um, uh, folks with uh, African and indigenous roots, as well as um, like different sexualities that people have. Um, throughout all of Latin America. So when you walk into the front of the of the exhibit, you'll see that the main wall had uh, the families that I documented. So one of each family. I was uh, originally I had planned to do all seven countries of Central America, but I only had enough time to do four. And so um, through it, I had the family of Panama, of El Salvador, Costa Rica, and Guatemala. Yeah, and so throughout the different, um, like the different walls, uh, were the different images of each of the families. That's still a lot, though. Mm-hmm. How much time would you have needed to get all the country? <laughs> this, I yeah, this is a lifelong project for sure. Yeah. For sure, I was overzealous in how much work that it needed to take because I wanted to give each families their due time. Mm. Like uh, it, it was also the probably the first time families were ever documented. So when we were doing the interviews, they had like a really long story to tell, and I wanted it to be present for their stories but sometimes I would be in someone's home for like eight ten hours because I would document someone like making tamales and we would start like at six in the morning uh making the tamales yeah I mean like just how she does by the way making tamales on its own is hard work exactly (laughs) that's what I'm saying and she did that every other weekend so but those are Costa Rican tamales no those are Salvadorian tamales that's no kidding so what are those like yeah those (laughs) are yeah those are tamales de lote um, so she would, she would like, um, she, well, they were, they would start early in the morning and just start peeling the corn of the cob. So it's like, and she had everybody working. She had her husband, she had her neighbor. And when the, her grandkids woke up, like everyone was helping. And you're shooting photos as well as yes. tape recording? Or? Yeah. Uh, photos and video. Yeah. Wow. Uh, but primarily photo. I, uh, specialize in photography. That's fantastic, though. Mm-hmm. Now, of course, uh, why don't you tell us more about the exhibit? But now, 
is it online somewhere or yeah so i'm currently working on my website okay. to to get it online and it's on my on instagram as well and what i want to do uh eventually is i i want to do this project in different cities across the united states so eventually i'll have my own website and with like um, a map of each of the cities oh that's very cool mm -hmm. that's very cool and then of course so that was one family. Mm -hmm. So uh, you basically spend a lot of time with them. Um, with they, I, I imagine they were eager to tell their story, no? Or... Uh, to an extent, I think that a lot of families uh, have a lot of fear. Um, of course, it makes sense because their whole lives are just living in the shadows. So a lot of families were really skeptical and didn't really trust me. It took a lot of time. Um, like maybe like three times that I visited their houses, they'd be, they'd be comfortable with me and opening up about their stories. Well, and I think the, the powerful metaphor is that you are documenting and our culture community has a lot to, a, a lot of push and tug with the whole idea of documenting, mm -hmm. but. I think you touched on it. It also hinders us from getting involved civically for different reasons or having a fear. So I think this is another powerful way to get people to to to, to jump that hurdle. Um, did you do you want it to be that political, or, or are we just looking too deep into it? No, absolutely. I feel like representation matters, and I feel that even if I didn't want it to be political, the personal is political. So there's no way of separating the two. I mean, the reason why all of these like immigrant communities are here is due to politics in one way or another. No, it, it, exactly. Exactly. So you don't have your website up yet, though, right? I have it up. Oh, what, yeah. what is your website address? It's jessofelia.com. That's super Spanglish. <laughs> jessofelia.com. Perfect. Very cool. And now this exhibit is not up there yet. It, it's up there. It's not fully uh, complete. Like right now, it only has little vignettes, but I want to be able to like uh, – give each of the countries that I documented like their own uh, page. Got it. So so it's it's in process. Yes. And, and I do like what you're taking on because there, there's not quite an easy template for any of this. And, mm -hmm. and you are touching on different parts of the world that I think are, are overlooked. Fantastic. So you had photography, each family on the other four walls. What was the most potent night moment of the evening? Was there a moment when you're like, man, this is worth it? I think, well, two instances. Uh, w the first one is the first people that showed up um, was the Guatemalan family that I documented. Um, and they were early, like super early. <laughs> like The show started at 6. They were there like at 5.50. Um, so that was a really huge moment for me because, one, I got to really spend a lot of time with them and show them like the exhibit. But two, for them to see like a huge like 24 by 36 image oh, of Oh, that them. big. Yeah, they were huge. So for them to see themselves like in that work, um, and they were like really proud of it. They were taking pictures with oh, it. Oh, man. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. And, um, and they, like they just like they really understood what the exhibit was trying to do, which was to humanize the immigrant experience and particularly like Central American experience that not everyone um, are like gang members or criminals. Um, and like, yeah. So, well, no, I mean, you have a president that called them and I'm going to say it slowly. So it doesn't sound like I'm cursing the asshole countries. Um, and then you have a, a president that's trying to convey them as uh, criminals and gang members so it is powerful to get the counter narrative, especially a family from our own neck of the woods, get to get to see themselves represented. So that is deep. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And then, um, so th there's those four families, and this was at the Match Center. Yes. How long was it up at the Match? Oh, one night. Got it. One night. Got mm -hmm. it. And then, so then now, what are the next steps for your project? So you're working on the website too, but I imagine you, you said you want to hit all countries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> oh. I w eventually would. Um, it'll just it takes it takes a lot of time. I'm actually moving to the Bay Area. 
um, uh, I'm moving for school, and San Francisco has one of the largest uh, Central American populations. Like, it has a huge uh, Guatemalan and Salvadorian population. So I definitely want to tap into the communities there and see, like, the the differences and similarities in how mm. communities are being created over there. And wh- where are you going to be studying, and what are you going to be I'm going to be at Berkeley, and I'm going to be hey. studying, I know, right, and journalism. Oh, very cool. Yeah. So this project really inspired me. Um, and it just really showed me the necessity in for, um, for storytellers, uh, for Latinx storytellers. And I want to be telling my community stories. I don't want anyone else to be tell an outsider to be showcasing their perspective on my community. And then, so you'll be pursuing, uh, is that a master's in journalism? Yes, master's. At at the uh, well-esteemed and highly regarded uh, Berkeley. Now, why why are you going into journalism as opposed to, um, people might say, hey, do an MFA in this or or study photography more. I mean, I, I'm not saying do or don't. It's great that you're doing journalism. But so, so wh- why journalism versus another area? Yeah, that was definitely a dilemma that I had, like Mm. choosing between an MFA uh, and an MA in journalism. But at the end of the day, it came down to I really need the skills, um, the adequate skills to um, help me uh, keep telling stories. So I want to be like well equipped in like video storytelling and audio storytelling. Um, I want to know how to code. I want to know all of these different skills and Berkeley's going to teach me how to do That's all great. of that. Yeah. That's exciting and mm. very practical, but also uh, using the art that you love too. And you already do photography, so you can bring those two mediums together yeah. versus an MFA too would be a whole different ballgame. Plus, I guess that'll be a whole other show. We can land blast what MFAs do or don't do. So I think you've made the wise choice. Fantastic. So we can keep following your work by going to your website um, and then give out your Instagram too. Um, okay. I can spell it. If you don't want us to follow you. Uh, no, no, no. I can spell it. It's not it. a bad word, is it? Or? I mean. Oh. oh, never mind. Never mind. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, I don't want to get an FCC violation. Gracias. <laughs> But we'll, we'll follow you. Uh, we'll post it, repost it, and we'll get on there, on there as well. So, well, fantastic. Well, we wish you continued success. And of course, you know, it's great that you came in person. We can call you tambien. It's a long distance call, but we can, <laughs> our donors can help us support <laughs> paying uh, long distance calls. But we'd love to stay in touch with the work that you're working on. Cool. Yeah. Fantastic. Thank Thanks you so me. much. Well, you're experiencing Nuestra Palabra, Latina writers having their say on the air. We were talking to Jessica and Witness the Isthmus, Central Americans in Houston. And we got to say bye to her because she'll be going off to California. But we will stay in touch as we continue changing. So we take a small musical break. And we're going to have our next guest who is from Philadelphia. So we are covering the map because Latinx folks are everywhere. We'll be right back after this Musical interlude.
Thank you for tuning in to Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say on the air. And Jessica stuck around. We figured, hey, man, we're, we're going to get rid of her to Berkeley. She might as well just hang out and maybe she could hang out at the the Pacifica station there in Berkeley. And we figured, hey, let's get the Central Americans from Houston slash San Francisco chilling with the Boricuas from Philly and all the Chicanos in Houston and we'll make this a whole Latinx party across the country. So on the air, I believe we've gotten through Raquel Salas. Can you hear me? Maybe Raquel is not on yet. Is Raquel on yet? No, no, not yet. Fine. So we're going to chat with uh, Jessica. So we've drafted you. Is that okay? <laughs> Fine. <laughs> well, and, Happy to be here. <laughs> and, and what's cool is that you, you overlap in a lot of different mediums, which I think is very Houston, but also very Latinx. Is that fair to say? Yeah, for sure. You know, versus I think in the old guard, you're supposed to focus on one field, whatnot. But eso no nos conviene. But I think I think we're through. Ra- Raquel, can you hear me? Hey. hey, fantastic. Well, thank you so much for calling in. We're going to tell folks a little bit about you, and Jessica's going to tell do that for us. Raquel Salas Silva es la poeta laureada de la ciudad de Filadelfia de 2008 al 2009 y becaria del Canto Mundo del 2008. Sus poemas han aparecido en revistas tales como la revista del Instituto de Cultura Puertorriqueña, Apogee y el Boston Review. Es la autora de Caneca de Añelos Turbios, editora de Educación Emergente, Oropel Tinsel, Lark Books, Tierra Interminte, Ediciones a la Yuba, y Lo Terciario, The Tertiary, Timeless Infinite Light. En la actualidad, es coeditora para The Wanderer y coeditora de Puerto Rico en mi Corazón, una colección bilingüe de volantes de po- poetas puertorriqueños contemporáneos. And thank you for, for calling in. We're very happy. Congratulations on being Poet Laureate of Philly. Are there that many Latinos in Philly? What, Robert? Are there that many Latinos in Philly? Oh yeah, <laughs> many Latinos in Philly. Yeah, bunches. There's um, a long history and a large Puerican population on the North Philadelphia, uh, which has been around for a very, very long time. And in fact, I'm working with a group um, of archivists and artists that are going um, into the very Pacific English archives and taking a look at that history. Yeah, and we will see a lot of other Latinos in, in Philly, you know, from all over, from Central America, from, you know, America, everywhere, yeah. That's beautiful. And actually, I think um, in the anthology called the Hispanic Anthology, edited by uh, Dr. Nicholas Canelos from Arte Pulco Press and Oxford University Press, they document some early Spanish newspapers, like in the 1800s out of Philly. So there is that... that uh, that base uh, of nuestra gente out there, which is fantastic, and of course, we want you to read some of your poems. But you also you're also putting on this cool festival, so I don't even know where to begin. Um, do, <laughs> do you have to do that as poet laureate, or is that something that you've been doing before the position? Well, the really interesting thing about being poet laureate of Philadelphia is that um, you know there's no instruction manual. What there is is there's an application process, and I have to what it is that I want to do for the city of Philadelphia. So I have to come in with sort of a clear plan of, of what it was that I wanted for Philly, and I had to propose that. And that was part of what was taken into account when selecting me as poet laureate. 
So, um, no, it's not it's not part, and it's not written into being poet laureate, but it's certainly um, part of it's my what I consider part of my civic responsibility as poet laureate of the city of Philadelphia. That's fantastic, and I love that you're bringing that commitment to the position, and especially especially for our community. And uh, tell us a little bit more, too, about the whole application process for, for the Poet Laureate position. So um, there's a question. Uh, usually you answer in the paragraph form. Um, I have to send in a sample of my work, and, of course, I write in Spanish, mostly um, primarily in Spanish, without self-translations into English. And so one of the first questions I had was, okay, there's a 10-page sample. Um, <laughs> if, if I'm sending in 10 pages and it goes the original in the translation, can I do 20 pages? And it was interesting because when I asked that question, um, uh, there was an assumption that I was sending in work that was different in both languages, um, which is an interesting assumption. But uh, they did let me send in both the original and the translations, and I kind of talked a little bit about why I wanted to poet glory to Philadelphia and um, argued that Philadelphia is a city of many languages, not just one language, and that it would be really important to have a poet laureate um, that was bilingual and to have a poet laureate that knew what it was to make a home of Philadelphia, even if they weren't originally from Philly. You had to be a lawyer for the poets. That's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. There's <laughs> a lot like that. Right. It's a very official poetry role. Oh, yeah. man. But it worked. That is fantastic. Well, yeah, cool. Yeah. And, and to, do please keep us on your radar as as the year goes on. But also, we'd love to have more of the community from Philly on our radio show. We could always call in. And who knows, maybe in a year or two, this will lead up to, to some of your crew coming here or some of our crew going out there. Absolutely. I mean, I'm all for that. You know, I think that, you know, Latinx people have to be in dialogue, mm -hmm. especially in the United States, especially right now, um, especially in the arts, and to really think about what the relationship is between uh, the type of art we're producing and the institutions that sponsor us and, you know, the government right now and what's happening all over the U.S., you know, and some of the policies, some of the political fascist policies that are going on in the U.S. So yeah. I think it's a really important moment. Yep, amen. So then, well, tell tell us about the festival then, because that really sounds cool. Yeah, it is really cool. Um, I was sort of freaked out about it, honestly, because <laughs> I, I, you know, um, it, it was very ambitious um, in that it's six different readings all throughout the summer, which, you know, for someone who uh, has ever organized a poetry reading, you know, it's, it, one thing is to put together a reading and have a few people come. Another thing is to organize a festival. Right. <laughs> it's a deal. Um, and so it also was ambitious because we didn't, um, I asked, I decided to ask three other people to help co-organize the festival. Rena Shirali, Kerwin Sutherland, and Ashley Davis, they're all poets of color. And so I wanted to have a festival that was specifically for poets of color, in part because my understanding is that um, the black and um, Latinx communities in Philly have, you know, in many ways coexisted, but also in many ways um, not been in dialogue sure. historically, and in other ways been in dialogue historically, and I kind of wanted to hearken back to those moments of solidarity and um, just kind of, like, you know, <laughs> collaboration. No, that's a great point. Um, and so part of what, part of what I did was... Um, I invited these poets to come and, and, and kind of help me organize the festival. And I asked them, you know, who do you want to see on this lineup? And the vision for the festival was that we were going to collaborate with community organizers in communities and really think about um, the spaces in which we were having different events. And so not just have events at a random space as part of a gentrifying project, but instead be very intentional about um, the spaces in the communities we were going like into and making sure that we had folks from the community that were part of every event. Um, and another thing we wanted to do was make sure that each feature was from Philly. Mm. Um, so rather than have the features be out of town, those the features were the Philadelphian poets, even if we brought all sorts of folks from out of town. Um, and, you know, lastly, we, we wanted to make sure that the festival always included, every event includes someone who works in more than one language. 
Um, and that was really important for me because, you know, part of my whole um, shtick as poet laureate is to be like, hey, you know, there are people over, all over the city who are doing work in more than one language and we have to acknowledge that. Otherwise, you know, we're basically replicating this English-only uh, vision of what the United States is. And, um, and up to now, the festival has been incredible. We're halfway through. Each event has a theme. The first one was Black and Brown Joy. Mm. Um, and it took place in West Philadelphia. Each event takes place in a different part of Philadelphia, in a different community. Um, the second theme was The Commons, and that took place in North Philadelphia, at the Lillian Marrero branch, a very Puerto Rican community. Um, the third theme was... Um, Sorry about that. That was a technical difficulty. Oh, <laughs> the third We're one was our schools, and it was specifically focused on public education and fighting the privatization of public schools. And that took place actually in a library that belonged to a private school that was made a long time ago open to um, a majority black community in Germantown. And so it kind of brought forth the question of not only how do we stop privatization, but how do we make spaces that have been privatized accessible um, to everyone. Uh, and so, you know, this, this is kind of like an ongoing conversation, but each event has basically been, it has become a conversation rather than just a poetry reading. Um, and I... I thought that might not happen that way. I was a little worried that that, you know, just would be something, one thing on paper and another thing in practice. But um, every single event has been incredibly unique, and I have learned a lot from each one of the events. And it's been pretty extraordinary. So I'm excited, like and I'm it. excited for the last three events. Sounds potent. We, too, are Philly. Rhea, it sounds mm -hmm. like a beautiful festival. I tell you what, we have about five minutes left. I wish we had 50 minutes to hear your poem, Tree. Can you flow for us? Yeah, yeah, I can at least read a little something. <laughs> All right, awesome. Um, I'm going to read something right now, real quick. Beautiful. I'm going to read the translation since we only have five minutes. <laughs> Usually I read the Spanish first. Notes on the Seasons In Spanish, we don't naturally occur. The seasons differentiate us from natural people. When there are no seasons, let's say, when we are a Caribbean country, better yet, when we are a territory, we aren't allowed to use the X except for the word xylophone. Because who uses a xylophone and who wants us? Every time you think these questions aren't the same, you recognize that you never met me, despite the I've seen you before and somewhere. If I'm going to explore my nationality, I have to be recognizable. This is what everyone knows. In fact, if I'm not recognizable, it's as if I had no nation. I wrote the following in a letter to the lions of the Mayawesu. I know that right now you are lions, and you spent a lot of time in the heat. But when you become snakes, no fence will be able to contain you. They'll have to put you in a glass cage. They call this cage a fish tank. They'll decorate the cage with rocks. You'll no longer be able to roar, but don't worry. When you become spiders, you'll be able to leave the fish tank. You'll climb up to the roof. Maybe it'll take you many weeks to find a window, but in the interim, you'll eat mosquitoes, since these are abundant. I wrote them this letter because I know what it's like to wait for transmogrification. I wrote them this letter because I know what it's like to wait for transmogrification in captivity. Outside of the fish tank, there is a room. Outside of the room, there is a zoo. Outside of the zoo, there is a hometown. Outside of the hometown, there is a colony. Outside of the colony, there is an empire. Outside of the empire, there is the king of seasons. If you kill the king, you kill the game. Potente. That is the poetry <laughs> of Raquel Salas, poet laureate of Philadelphia and the organizer of We Too Are Philly and Our New Friend. Can you give out a website where folks can go to keep track of your work and what you're up to? Yes. Um, you can just go to my website, RaquelSalsRivera.com, um, and all the We Too Are Philly events are just kind of um, there. You can see them, and you can see what we've been doing. Beautiful. Well, we're familia now, so stay in touch. Igual, sí. And continue <laughs> Thank success. you so much for having me. Gracias. Hey, thanks, That's everyone. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in. And thank you, Jessica. We drafted you. <laughs> <laughs>
Appreciate it. And likewise, continued uh, continued success and keep us posted. Yeah, for sure. Hey, this is Very Tony. Good. This is Tony. Leave it up. got it. This is Marlon. You have a good one. This is Joe Anthony. This is Letty. And this is Alexis from Houston, Texas. And we'll see you next week. Thanks for tuning in. Bye. Disfruta de una tarde de música y poesía. KPFT y Son Pacífica te invitan al Festival de Verano, evento a beneficio de la estación. La música a cargo de Rubén Moreno y su Blues Rock and Psychic Band. El jazz, el blues y la voz de Evelyn Rubio y su grupo. Bayou City Swing con su Gypsy Jazz Style Music y la música electrónica y ritmos alternativos de No te mueras en mi casa. La poesía con los escritores cronopios de Houston, Miriam Damaris y Enrique Infante y la escritora Leslie Contreras Schwartz. Ven y diviértete con nosotros. La cita es en el Fitzgerald's 2706 White Oak Drive el domingo 22 de julio a las 2 de la tarde, KPFT Houston. If you've heard a KPFT pledge drive before, you've probably heard this line a thousand times. Our volunteers are here to take your call. But volunteering at KPFT is more than pledge drives. It's the folks who help pack your thank you gifts. Or the people who spend a Saturday painting walls or helping at a booth or even distributing KPFT flyers around town. You may hear a lot about volunteers during our pledge drives, but helping out at KPFT is an around-the-clock endeavor. Why wait for a pledge drive when you can volunteer today? Call 713-526-4000 to learn more about volunteering at KPFT. Or visit kpft.org to download a volunteer application to indicate your interest. Talk with one of our great staffers to find out how you can help. Again, that's 713-526-4000 to learn more about volunteering at KPFT. Or visit kpft.org to download a volunteer application to indicate your interests. This is commercial-free, listener-sponsored, Pacifica Radio. KPFT Houston.